This is Ring Tomes. Welcome to episode two, season two of the All Boxing No Bullshit podcast. I'm your host and podcaster elect Jason Langendorf. Um, we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to pivot just a bit because, uh, well, because it's my podcast. It's free and because you'll thank me for the decision later. Um, that's because we got Pete Croato today. Uh, Pete's a freelance writer and author of the new book, From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. Uh, it's an entertaining, exceptionally well-researched account of the NBA's development into professional sports premier league and its rise to the pinnacle of pop culture behind guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and David Stern. Now, you might ask, what does this have to do with boxing? And on the surface, nothing. But Pete and I had this great discussion about writing, storytelling, sports, hoops, and more. And and yes, we even eventually got to the fights. Um, broke this into two parts because Pete, Pete and I wound up setting the ringtones record for interview length, which is which is great. Congrats, Pete. Um, but uh, I, I think it was well worth our time, and I think you're really going to enjoy it too. So with that. We pick up the conversation with Pete Croato. I, I kind of, I, I kind of look at these jobs that are that are these people that have been laid off, and I look, I look at the newspaper industry. And it's the same, and you know, those jobs are not coming back. Like the Dallas Morning, if the Dallas Morning News lays off a hundred people, those people aren't being hired back. Those right. those, those slots are not being filled. Um, and I think, you know, again, I think this is going to be an excuse for companies to to get by with less. Um, and I, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm a cynic and you know the the milk of human kindness washes over uh <laughs> all this but I, I i'm doubtful about that that's why you know that's why i'm convinced you know that's why as time goes on i'm i'm very happy with 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 freelancing and and having this kind of mobility um but i don't know i mean i you know well that's what i wanted to ask you about yeah go ahead you you've you've written for all sorts of fun publications you've written a lot yeah. of nba content sure um you and I are both freelance writers, but mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know quite what that looks like or how it unfolds. How, how would you explain your gig, like what you do on a day-to-day basis and how it works to like, you know, your great uncle at Thanksgiving or something like that? <laughs> Usual, I, I've been there. I've been there. So oh, I want to hear know, your story. Oh, I know. I don't know if I have any great uncles left. That's the thing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Your, your, your uncle then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have, that's a really good question. You know, it varies on it varies from day to day it really does um i'll 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 just give you i'll I'll give you an example of the last just a a random week i have my planner here so you know i like for example i have a i have an anchor client that that i do who that i do copy editing for and an anchor client is is someone who hires who who hires you regularly that's like a a permalance position or not quite full-time freelance, but you can depend on them for a monthly, uh, a monthly, a monthly part of your income. Right. So let's, I'll think of something fun. That way it can be of interest to listeners. <laughs> um, so let's see, I had for, there was one week where I was working on, I was, I was, I was copy editing three to four hours, of, three to four hours a day. Then I would switch and work on interviews and research for a piece that I wrote for Shondaland on Willow Bay. The right. host of I read that. That was great. Thanks. Um, so, th- so like, for example, like that would be, you know, maybe I would, 
work from 8.30 to 12, have lunch with my wife who's working from home, go back downstairs, make some phone calls uh, for that, for that, for that uh, Willow Bay piece. And then, you know, I would maybe pitch other articles. Maybe I would do some book outreach, um, you know, to get, to get the, to get people interested to see about going on podcasts or being interviewed by, by newspapers or what have you. And then, um, you know, and then when the, then, and then just, you know, kind of wrap things up. So it's, so every week is different. I mean, I'll, I'll give, I mean, even when we go into December, my, my days, the first two weeks I'm devoting to book outreach and, and book uh, stuff. So it, it really, every day really is different. And it's yeah. all about what I can do to pay the bills. And that is going to keep me busy and not, you know, staring at Twitter for hours on end. So it's, <laughs> It, it's really, you know, I, I, the best way to describe what I do is imagine it's, it's like I, I do consider myself to be a small business person. Uh, I'm running a business. I'm in charge of getting myself paid. I'm in charge of finding the work. I'm in charge of signing it, doing it. I'm, assi- I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of promotion, making sure I get paid. So really, I, I am, and a lot of freelance writers, I, I consider myself to be running a business. And anything that, one would think of that's related to running a business. Um, that's kind of what I do. Just just flip it to writing. If I were working as a landscaper or an accountant, um, you know, it would be you know, my task would be geared to those things instead of writing and, and pitching Q and A ideas. Yeah, I think that that's the story you save for Uncle Saul. Like, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> I have my own business. Yeah. Other, otherwise, you get back to the old uh, office space. What what is it you say that you do here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's, it it, it you know, a, a trick that I found that is very useful is I will I will lead off with places that I've written for that people will know. Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll so if someone says, oh, what do you do? Which I, I mean, every party comes up, which is why I'm very I'm grateful this year there are no holiday parties. Um, so someone will say, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a you know I'm a writer and I've written for the New York Times. The, the AV club, GQ, I come up with names that people will know. And that, yeah. that kind of gets them thinking, oh, this guy is, is, this guy is for real. He's not somebody who's doodling in a notepad on his couch. And, but that's the problem. I'm sure you come across that too, is you have some, you, you tell someone that you're a writer or that you're a freelance writer and inevitably it's, oh, that must be so nice. Oh, you must <laughs> it must be nice to watch TV all day, which is, which is what someone has actually told me, has, has said to me. Um, but no, you have, to, you have to paint it as a job. It's a job that I love. I love doing this. And I love, I, I count myself extremely fortunate to be doing this for a living. Um, but it is a job. It's a job like anything else. And there are great days, and there are bad days, and there are days where, um, you know, I wish I wasn't in the office, even though the office is in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, you mentioned the book outreach. You've written this great new book. Uh, Thank you. From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, mm-hmm. Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever possessed you to do a crazy thing like that? Oh, man. Um, like, who was talking to about this? When I have an idea, well, I was talking to an old friend of mine about this. When I have an idea for a story, I don't know if you feel this way, but when I have an idea for a story, uh, I, and, and, I, and I can't get it out of my mind, I know I have to write it somehow, some way. 
And the book, this was really, the book was really in that same vein. Um, I had written a piece for Grantland on Marvin Gaye's rendition of the national anthem at yeah, the 1983 awesome. NBA All-Star Game. Yeah. Um, it was a piece that I really enjoyed writing. And as I wrote the piece, I realized by talking to all these great sources, um, like Rick Welts and, oh man, who else? Um, Gordon Banks, who is Marvin Gaye's guitarist, and, and Lon Rosen of the Lakers. I realized that this was more that this was more than just a, a revolutionary take on a new song or an old song, pardon me. To me, that anthem meant was a turning point for the NBA and what it would become. And you know, and that meant an NBA that was going to be geared toward the new, the fresh, that was going to be geared toward an audience that was not the ones associated with baseball and football, pro or college. And I couldn't get that idea out of my mind. And I, and the more, and I thought, you know, I want to find out what led, I wanted to find out more about what led to that point in 83 and what happened afterward, because the NBA that we know now didn't just come out of the sky. Like it, it, there was a long, hard slog to get to a, to a place where, you know, where, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Gordon Hayward can make $30 million a year and nobody bats an eye. Right. So I wanted to find out about this. So over the past, over the last, sorry, over the next three to four years, I made a decision to, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to report this out. So I decided to take on assignments that were tied into that era of NBA history. So I wrote okay. about her. So had, at this point, had you decided to write a book or you just, it was like kind of the twinkle in your eye? bit of both. I had, it was a twinkle in my eye. And then a, uh, a friend of mine, my former editor uh, at Publishers Weekly, Mark Rotella, who has written a couple a, a few great books and knows a thing or two about this, said, you know what, like, you should write a book. This, this sounds like a book. And, you know, let me introduce to my agent. So that really kind of lit the fire under my ass to get this to, to start like turning this into something real. So it was a bit of both. I had, a, I had the glimmer. I had the promise of something. Mm -hmm. And I also just wanted to learn more about that, about that, about that period of time. I wanted to learn more about the seventies and the eighties. And the wonderful thing about being a freelance writer is that you can occasionally, if you're lucky, indulge your curiosities. So yeah. it was like, so, so I, you know, I, I pitched a story to a couple stories to slam based on, you know, based on the, based on all-star game weekends. And that was a giant help. It introduced me to a few more, a few more people who were key to the book. I wrote a piece for Rolling Stone on the history of Salem sportswear, which, which um, uh, created those, cat those caricature shirts that you now see everywhere, like when the team wins the NBA Finals. So it was, um, so yeah, I mean, it just, it started building and building. I, I got to build all these resources and this, this sort of base of knowledge where I could write a proposal and, and eventually get this, push this slowly, into some sort of reality instead of just like this feverish idea that I was bugging my wife about. So, <laughs> um, but it was, it was, all, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was, it was, I never got bored in the three to four years covering it or writing the proposal or anything like that. It was, it was always fun for me and it was fun to write. It was fun to write this book for sure. It's interesting too, though, the, the approach that you took, because <clears throat> I think a lot of times people have the idea in their head that it's like, okay, I, I want to write a book. Here's a book I want to write. How do I do that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then immediately you're stuck. <laughs> right. To, right. To, to then sort of have, 
not only not only have a plan, but have a you know a certain amount of I don't want to say not access, but mm-hmm. you knew the pitching process. You knew how to. I mean, obviously, it, it helps to be a writer when you when you want to write a book. Yeah, but, sure, of course. But, but just the and I'm, I'm I'm saying some of this from my own perspective. I, I've been in journalism for twenty five years. Yeah, um, I've thought about book writing for for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, never really had an idea how to like tie one into the other, mm-hmm. but you have sort of taken a, a little bit of a step by step approach where it's okay to get to there. I'm going to take these steps along the way to get a little bit closer and, mm-hmm. and build toward um, what I need to to you know actively finish this book. Sure, um, it's. I mean, I, I'm obviously everybody's got their own way of doing it, but it's it's seems like a like a pretty nifty blueprint to to follow for somebody who's who's got aspirations. Yeah, I mean, and again, there is no blueprint. I mean, what worked for me may not work for for you, and I know that you you just got a you're working on. Now, did you did you get a did you did you sign a sign a, a deal for a book? Is that is that? Um, it's it's uh, I'm probably doing it tonight, so it's. Oh. Uh, I'm I'm very close. Congratulations! Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's a very nascent deal. It's it's a small thing, but it's sort of hopefully um, it's the first step in you know hopefully many many things in the future. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, but there's no but there's no I, I don't think there's a and again I think it's like that's sort of the one rule with with this is there's you have to have a blueprint, but it doesn't have to be someone else's blueprint. You just sure. have to be organized about it. Um, I mean, again, this is. A lot of this was a lot of this was just accidental. I mean, I had, you know, again when I pitched when I when I wrote for Grantland, um, I was not. Um, oh God! I mean, I was so I was you know I was so low profile. I mean, I, I was not you know again you have to. I mean, I don't know for for the listeners you know Grantland at the time in 2012 2013. I mean, that was a big honking deal. I mean, you yeah. had. Colson Whitehead writing about the World Series of Poker. I mean, you had Chris Jones at Esquire covering the yeah, American East. Yeah, it was it, a place to be. It was a badass sports. Yeah, liter, literary. Uh, it was the only place like it on the web. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was kind of like the National. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, just all these great writers, and you know, just sort of having free reign to do their own thing and to write about what they wanted. It was. It was nuts. And so I had. I mean, so to me to get to get to to, to even to pitch an idea to the to Grantland and getting accept, and getting accepted was absurd. I mean, it was it was you know it was like you know dunking a basketball on a twelve foot hoop. I, you know, there's no <laughs> way it was going to happen, but it did. And then you know, so that was the lucky thing. The 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 lucky thing also was getting a topic that was just so that had so many avenues to it, and I didn't want to let it go, and I didn't want to. I felt there there was more here, and there's so much that's rich in that moment that leads to that connects to the NBA's past and to its future. I didn't want to let it go, but I mean, but again, if your ideas come from anywhere and, and if you have an idea that comes from, you know, a, you know, that great uncle at Thanksgiving or comes from, you know, research, you know, research or comes from a passion of yours, that's great. The, the, the only the bit that I think the common denominator is just to have an is just to have the discipline down to have the discipline to commit the idea to to make it bigger to to sell it to 
to own it. That's really the, the, the X factor is just the discipline and the, and the, the stick to um, with, with, with that. Everything else is, um, you know, everything else kind of is, is from your own um, creation. Yeah. Yeah. I think you kind of mentioned the two things that I've found, you know, as a freelancer, because what I'm have most of my past was staff jobs. Yeah. And as an editor, I, I did some, you know, I took a lot of pitches and um, I had my own experiences there, but um, you know, I, I would, I would imagine everybody's are a little different. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing I think I've found by now is the, the two things that are probably most important is you got to have a good idea mm -hmm. and you've got to have persistence and oh God, you know, yeah. it, it helps to be a really good writer and it helps to be plugged in and, you know, any access is a, is a big deal, but in the end you you're, you're trying to give um, a publication something that they can't get somewhere else, like a really interesting idea. Absolutely. And, and something that you are maybe uniquely qualified to give it to them. And then mm -hmm. If that doesn't work out, keep pushing, keep, keep looking for the next place, keep looking for the next idea, because it just, that's what the whole, seems like it's the whole hustle of the game, you know? That is, that is, that's exactly right. I mean, there, there is, you know, I think there seems to be this idea that writing is any, any form of writing, um, but especially freelance writing is one of those things where you just, once you get rolling, you're always rolling and it, that's not the case. Um, you have you're offering a service to an editor you're offering you're you're um, to me the the pitch is a blueprint and you have to make sure that that the editor ha is fully confident in that blueprint to want to build a house and that's you have to look at it in the i think you have to look at it in very simple terms it, it's you know, and again, it's, you're right. It's not about being plugged in because when I wrote for Grantland, I was not plugged in. I'm not plugged in now. I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, it's not like, you know, the New Yorker is, is banging at my door to, to hear my pitch on basketball cards or, you know, I'm getting, you know, phone calls from Metro desks nationwide wanting to hear what I have to say. I'm still a hustler. I'm still a grinder. And that's, that's, that's the key. It's just, you have to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. Um, but, you know, but bottom line, you know, it's, you, you, ha it, it comes down to very simple things. You have to offer something, as you said, you're offering a service to the, to an editor, to a publication that's going to benefit them. And then you have to make sure, and then you have to make sure that you deliver on the promise and be professional about it. And if someone doesn't like it, you have to keep selling. I mean, th this is a, this is a sales job. Um, alarmingly, it's a, it's a lot of this is sales. Yeah. Um, which is, which is brutal for guys like you and me and every other writer where this, that's not why we got into the business. Right. But you know what? I see you're right. And I, and I, and I do not want to be in any kind of sales. And I've had, when I was at my nadir professionally, I had people say, Oh, I should go into sales. And I, <laughs> my, and, I, and that to me was like, you know, drinking a bucket of hot vomit. I had no interest <laughs> in, 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 in working a sales beat. No, nothing. But I am very, very, I can sell myself. And I can sell my ideas. And so selling the, and so writing a, so selling this, so writing, selling a pitch to an editor and selling this book to whomever, I'm proud of it. It's because I, I know it's good and I know that I'm, I'm qualified. And I, you know, you, you, 
you know, you, you have to be confident in yourself to, 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 to do well in this industry. Um, and I'm proud. I know I can provide a, 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 a good service. I, I'm dependable. I'm easy to work with. I can write really well. I report like nobody's business. And I'm confident enough in my services that if you take me, you'll be pleased. But I'm also confident enough to know that, you know what, if you don't take me, if you don't take this idea, that's absolutely fine. I will find someone else who does. No hard feelings. You don't, yeah. you don't sound like a writer to me at all. Oh, I don't? <laughs> you, well, you have entirely too much confidence and too, too firm a plan. But that, of positivity. But, but that took 15 years of getting, of getting <laughs> my, my face pushed into the sidewalk right, and right. being told no. And that's the thing. If you're, if, I'm on my own here. So I have to be confident. I have to be excited. If I'm not, then no one's going to be excited. Right. No, right. That's, a, that's a great point. You know, if I'm writing to the New York Times, if I'm, you know, if I'm writing to an editor to the New York Times or, or, or GQ or whomever, and my email sounds like Eeyore the donkey, <laughs> no, not, no one's, they're going to be like, no, we're not interested. But if I'm excited, if I'm, if I'm engaged, that's, you know, that is, that is, that's half the battle. No, so much of this is like dating, uh, freelance writing. It's so much like dating and you're not going to pick up, you're not going to hit it off with, with someone you're interested in if you're mopey and you know, you might like me, I don't know, uh, maybe <laughs> I have some qualities. No one wants to hang out with that guy or that lady. You're not, you're not getting the pity date. No, from, but if you're, the, but if from you're the cute girl or from the New Yorker. Yeah, but if you're if you're confident and you're 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 confident, but you're confident enough to know when to walk away, and you're confident enough to know when to pursue, and you're confident enough to say, you know, if the person's not interested, okay, no hard feelings, we'll be, I'll be fine. It's you have a lot more fun that way, you have a lot more success that way, and I speak from experience on both ends of it. You know, I'm happily married now, and you know, I, I don't think I'd be in that situation if I was still, you know, if I was selling myself short. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was explaining this, uh, I think it was even to my wife the other day, yeah. talking about the whole thing. That's, it's almost like you have to be like a major league hitter. You have to understand <laughs> you're, you're going you're gonna to fail a lot more often than you're going to succeed. Yep, and, absolutely right. And then you, you have to have a short memory. You got to come, come back and do the same thing again and, and, and keep it up and not, you know, there can't be a whole lot of doubt, um, especially in the midst of when you're doing it. You know, maybe – maybe a little bit of retooling in between. But, um, you know, if you, like you said, if, if you just kind of mope around and, well, you know, nobody wants me, it's not going to last very long. No, you're no. you're going to wind up in sales. No, you, <laughs> maybe not even sales. Maybe, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine who was um, very much a ladies band, like looked at, looked at dating that same way. It's three out of 10 is, you know, if you're three out of 10, hitter in the major leagues, you're a hall of famer. And it's the same thing. Well, I mean, unless you're Harold Baines, but <laughs> if, but you know, you're, you're, um, you know, but yeah, it's the same thing with pitching. It's, it really is. I mean, you can't, I, I never, I, I never understand. And someone once wrote to me asking for advice or, or something. And I'm and the guy said, Oh, you know, you know, I want to pitch this big publication, but I'm scared. And my, my response was why, why are you scared? Who cares? Like what they say? No all right, like, that's fine. That's, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's, it doesn't mean that you can't, you can't write ever again. doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you know, throw your, your laptop into the lake and, and, you know, start learning how to like cobble. It's, you know, right. you, you, 
you pick up and you go on you have and you do have to have a very short memory especially in this business because like there's so many there's so much bad news in in this business there's yeah. so much you know people getting laid off and and you've really got to want to do it, it yeah. it's going to mean something to you to to do the work yeah i i don't think here's i mean i don't you, how many other artists do you know that are, are doing this because they want to do it, not because they, they want to make money or, or <laughs> glory? It's, you, you want to do this. You, you go to business school to make money. You don't go into journalism. To no, get rich. no, you, you go, I mean, you go in it, into it because you're going to have, I mean, who said that? It was Don Van Natta, I think said this once the, the great ESPN enterprise reports. Like, you'll have the best stories if you, if you're yeah. in this. like, and again, like, I mean, I, I, I am working from home 90% of the time but I'm willing to bet that my stories are better than someone who travels half the year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and I, that, that means something. And I don't know the money, the money comes. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm living proof, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, my head's above water. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm yeah. And, and some of it's relative, you know, are you, are you going to get rich? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. I mean, you, you might have to get a little bit lucky, but, can you make a living at it if you've got some skill and you're, yeah. you're dedicated and, and, you know, professional? Yeah. You definitely can. And there are plenty of, there are plenty of freelance writers who are, who are playing six figures, plenty of them, yeah. but they're not, but here, here's the key. And I think this is what has to be said. They're not writing. It's not like they're, they're, you know, they're writing like cover story for GQ cover story for Smithsonian. They're, they're, they're working at major publications, but they're also writing for companies. They're doing social media managing they're they're doing quick hit jobs on white papers those aren't glamorous jobs but they pay really well and right. they and they get your they get your muscles moving you know it's to me i mean writing is writing i mean yeah it, it's a lot more fun to to interview nick nurse than it is to edit a ebook on health hearts on heart health supplements but it's the same it's the same gears. It's the same muscles. Like you're still playing in the sandbox. You're still writing. You're still putting words together. You're still trying to create the thoughts that are going to interest people. It, it's all. And they, the, and they both put food on the table and they both, absolutely. They, absolutely. they both, like you said, exercise that muscle. You're, I think you're actively getting better through doing both. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've actually found that one, something that I wouldn't necessarily anticipate uh, mm -hmm. forming the other sometimes does. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, a, a perfect example is this, like when I was writing for my last full-time magazine job was I was, I was an editor at a trade publication uh, that specialized in natural, in the natural products industry. So that's supplements, vitamins, that kind of stuff. So it was an editorial staff of three, one production person. And the four of us put out 28 magazine issues a year. It's a, it's a lot of work. And I mean, the, the, these were not exactly scintillating articles and they were, you know, again, there's, there's nothing that they'd probably bore a lot of readers. But what was great about that experience was that I learned how to write quickly and I learned how to write quickly long. Like every, I think every month we, all the editors had like three 2000 word articles to write. So mm -hmm. you learn to write really quickly and you learn not to get so fussy about things you, you know you learn to edit on the fly you learn to 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 you 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 learn to build that endurance and that was extremely helpful in writing a book because you're 
you're, I mean, a book is a hundred thousand words, 90,000 words. So if you break it up into chunks that are manageable, you know, like a thousand, I was writing a thousand words a day. That's, that didn't seem so bad after writing, you know, 1500 <laughs> words in a night to make a deadline. So it all comes together. You're right. It does. Well, so you and I are nerding out like crazy right now, which I love. Yes. Uh, but I, but I want to go back to the NBAs before we every single listener. <laughs> I, I, would, I hope we've got a lot of, you know, uh, freelance journalists and, and writing aficionados out there listening. Sure. But I want to go back to the book. Um, sure. And, and we, we, talk, we can talk boxing too, because I, I was thinking about this. Yeah. About the times with boxing and the NBA. Um, what, what, when you invited me on here. So yeah, we can, we can, we can get people. That's great. I had, I had one question for you, which I'll get to in a little bit, but, yeah, uh, sure, go ahead. but I'm glad, I'm glad that you've got some, because I, I had, you know, I, I lined this up and I was basically like, I, I don't really care if it's boxing. Like I want to get, I want to get you on. I want people to know about your book and I appreciate my that. podcast so I can do whatever the hell I want. So, Good um, for you. but <laughs> I, I really, I enjoyed the book. Um, I, I enjoy, I also enjoyed that period of time in the NBA. So I, I, one of the things that um, kind of caught my eye is mm -hmm. uh, Larry, you started with Larry O'Brien. Yes. And I think a lot of the average NBA fan doesn't really know much about him, mm -hmm. um, especially when you compare him to somebody like David Stern. Sure. Um, sure. But you got some really great detail out of that. And, and I'll, I'll nerd again a little bit for, for a moment yeah, from a writing perspective. Mm -hmm. There were you. You picked up on some details in that first scene. You, you even like talked about the brand of cigarettes he smoked. Yeah, I find that to be really important to to kind of painting a scene. But I also think it's really tough to master, and then it's it's difficult to to get those details. How how did you find those uh, components and put them together? Well, first of all, thank you very much for that. That's really, that's really nice of you to say. And I, I, I wanted this, the, the thing about this book, before I answer your question, is I want this, I think this is a book that can be read by just about anybody. Um, I don't think, I'm not a big fan. To me, sports books, the best sports books are never just about sports. So, you know, if you read about, you know, I'm, I, I'm looking at some sports books here on my, on my shelf right now. I'm looking at uh, David Remnick's biography of, of Ali and, and, you know, there, there's so much more to sports than just, you know, who won and who lost. So, but to answer your question, um, that is just asking people. It, it's calling, you know, it's one of the, one of the great, you know, Larry doesn't have a lot of people left in his life who knew him or were close to him. But one person who was around was, was the secretary, Jan Ackerhelm. And I talked to her several times for the book. Uh, and she was, she was very, very um, accommodating. But I asked, I asked her, like, what, what, what brand of cigarette was he smoking at the time? That's Just, I, wanted, I wanted to know. And I asked um, Larry's son, Larry O'Brien III, the same question. Like, what, what, what was he smoking? Because, again, these little details bring a person alive. And what, I are, think, what are the reactions you get when you ask a question like that, though? Um, do, do people seem weirded out by it? Or? No, I don't think so. Because, no, because I think that it shows that you care. Okay. You know, if you... If you and I, and I talked to, I talked to Larry O'Brien, the third, oh man, probably a between email and phone a dozen times, Jan Ackerhelm three or four times. And, you know, at that time, I think people get to know you and they, they, sh they see that you're serious about this and they want to help you. Um, 
Yeah. And that to me is the, that to me is the biggest thing. I mean, I, every journalist has, or every writer has their ways of, of, uh, of reporting. And I, you know, again, I'm not going to bore you with the schools, but my school is, you know what, I'm just curious and I want to be genuine and I want to know about this. I want to know more about Larry O'Brien because I feel like you're right. I feel like he's sort of gotten swept up in the dustbin of, of, of sports history when he really is really important. So you, so again, you know, you, you talk to, you know, I talked to Larry O'Brien, Larry's son a few times, and I just wanted to know more about him. I wanted to know, you know, what he did at his beach house. I wanted to know, you know, what, you know, did he, you know, you know what was his, all these details. And also if you talk to people for hours on end, you get you get details and people get comfortable and they and they want to help you out and that is that's kind of my school I, I i just when i do something i don't want to go about it half-assed and i i want to be as accurate as i can i want to be as um as thorough as i can and i think people see that and i think they want to help in kind because again this is this is really a, you know you're you're covering people and and people want to be want to be represented in properly and i think they want their loved ones to be uh, portrayed uh in, a, in an accurate um fully nuanced way yeah you're you're talking to people who are close to someone that you're asking about <clears throat> and i think if they recognize that you're you're invested in in really knowing about that person and and you know maybe not as invested as they are but but it's important to you to know those details. Mm -hmm. I think that opens up doors. It absolutely does. I mean, it's, people may think it's a little bit weird, but when you're, when you're, but when you're around and you ask and you pay attention, that shows that you care and people will, will take you seriously. Um, you know, it's it, the same thing happened with Will Obey. I mean, I'm asking her, you know, I'm digging into clips from her, like, you know, 30 years old and she's, you know, I'm talking to her over the phone. I can hear her just being puzzled. But, you know, after the second conversation where I'm where I really want to find out more about her dad and about, you know, what he was like. People show that you're serious because here's the thing. There's so many bad. I mean, watch it. Watch. I know if you ever watch like junket interviews that, that for movies. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are so many bad. Oh, interviewers, and there's so many bad interviewers and there's so many people who don't know how to ask a question. And so many people who, who want to make the interview about themselves. That it's I, hard. It is, yeah. It's a hard skill. It is. So I think if you come across being like, I just want to learn. I just want to know about this. People are more than happy to help you out because they are, because, because they are going to, they're going to show you how it's done instead of you presuming that you know how it's done. Yeah. So if I, if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, like if I'm watching somebody, I don't know, chop down a tree you know, I'm going to ask them a thousand questions before I do it myself. I'm not going to be like, Hey, you know, you see you're using a, a, a axle rod blade on that. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if you come across being a little stupid and a whole lot of genuine, that, that goes a long way. Even I think just in, just in regular life too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I know, you know, part of my, uh, you know, theory behind, behind doing this podcast even is I, I think it will make me a better interviewer. Um, I hope. Um, and I've found from listening back to some of my episodes, it's like, God damn, you talk too much. Shut up and listen. And, <laughs> and it's tough because it is, I, I, I'm the type of person where I'm not trying to impress anybody. I don't, I don't think, 
um, what I'm trying to do is connect. And I, and I want to, mm-hmm. I want to open somebody up sometimes with letting them know, you know, maybe, maybe meeting them halfway to wherever I really want to get to and say, Hey, I understand this up to this point, or, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of part of this world. I, I can relate to you, and, but that sometimes it just becomes pontificating and it's, and it's just, just bullshit that mucks everything up and you yeah. really you know, just need to get out of your own way a little bit. Absolutely. And you're, and you're, and look, I mean, you have nothing to worry about. First of all, I mean, this is, this is, this is a pleasure and you know, I, so you're, you're doing fine. There's no worries there, but right. I'm just, I mean, I listen to interview tapes or I see the transcripts and I'm like, fuck man, like, no, don't interrupt. No, just <laughs> shut the hell up. Just let, but that it's very hard because I think naturally we want to fill in the pauses. Yeah. And it's, it's very tempting to just jump in, especially when you, when you only have a finite amount of time. If I have 35 minutes to talk to somebody and I have a line of questions and I want to ask these three questions and I have 10 minutes left, you're, I'm going to be, it's very hard to not want to just jump in with those questions. Yeah. But you're right. If you, if you just shut the hell up and let someone fill in the space for you, you're typically in good hands. And I honestly think that there's, you know, if, if, if people see that you're a professional and you're prepared, I think they'll give you the, they'll give you what you need. And you're right. You have to be a little vulnerable and say, you know, I don't understand this. I I'm from this world, but I don't pretend to know this world. Um, you know, that, that goes along, but yeah, I have the same problem. I look at my tramps like, Oh, geez, man, don't, don't interrupt. No, 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 no. But I don't know. I mean, I, I keep getting called back to doing Q and A's. I, I, I keep <laughs> something was working. Something's going okay. But you're right. There's there's nothing worse than like the Charlie Rose interviewer, who is just you know go, has like a, a 55 minute preamble, and then answer then has a question that's that's like a yes or no question. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. A, B, C, or D. Yeah. Or the the other thing too, I, I hate. And I see this a lot. Are the cluster of questions. You're oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. First answer this, and then as a follow-up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the worst. And I, and I was I'm I'm, re- I'm reading a book that that someone where someone does that, where it's just you know where it's just four questions. Oh, jeez. It's like no, no, no. Don't let them. You'll get to those questions. Yeah. The other, the other thing too I hate is, and I'm sure I'm going to come across as as I do more PR, more interviews for this book, is you have people asking questions that can just be addressed by, you know, reading background information or I was reading, I was reading a, um, I was, re- I, I do copy editing for a magazine and I was reading, there was a Q and A and the first question the person asked was, you know, what's about, tell, you know, what is this company about? Or tell me about your company. It was some, something along those lines. And I thought you dipshit, like that's not, like that you can, you can, you can figure that out by just going to the website and doing five minutes of research. And then you can save, you can, you can then use, you can then take away that question and ask a better question. Right. Also, of, also not technically not a question, not a cue. Yeah. No, <laughs> the talk about, yeah, the talk about thing, the yeah, Brian Curtis of the ringer wrote a great piece about that. Yes. I, I read that. It was fantastic. Whereas, yeah. And you hear that all the time and it, it's, well, you know, and the worst thing about that too is you're asking you're asking the subject to do all the heavy lifting, right? Which I which I I, I don't think is fair. It's you know the the person should be thinking about what you're asking, but talk. Yeah, I I I, I strenuously try to avoid talk about uh, that doesn't that doesn't accomplish anything. 
um, well, other than it also, it also generally, I mean, it, it depends on what the setting is, I suppose. I mean, if you're, if it's the NBA finals and you're in a media scrum and, yeah. and you know, uh, whatever, Russell Westbrook is, is up at the podium and you know, he's not talking for more than 90 seconds, no matter exactly. what you ask. I, I get it that some of these reporters just, if they get a chance to ask, ask their question and it's like, spit this out, we need something to, to, to get a quote, you know, I've got a mm-hmm. deadline in 15 minutes. I, I get all that. Yeah, me too. It's brutal when, when there's, when there's time for nuance, when there's time for, for a more elegant question. And, and usually when you get somebody going in the direction that you'd like them to go, they take it somewhere that, that you wouldn't have anticipated, or they give you something even better than mm-hmm. you would have known. So. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that's hard to do if you're, if you're assigned to write, you know, if you're assigned to write about, I don't know, let's say James Harden and, you know, you want to talk, you, you know, you, you're, you're being, you're tasked with asking about it, about the new team that he signed with. Right. But if you're, but if he goes off on like the, this fascinating 15 minute, um, uh, 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 soliloquy about, you know, about being a celebrity in the NBA and, and the new age of free agency, you're not going to, you, you don't want to stop that because right. What you're what you're looking to do is just get you're trying to just reveal who the person is. Like you're trying to reveal the person behind the public facade. Um, and I, I think that's something that a lot of people have a trouble doing because they're just they're because I think they I think a lot of inter- interviewers, especially maybe new interviewers, they are they are honed, they are sewn to what the assignment is. So that kind of st- that kind of stifles what they want to ask, and they also think that readers or viewers want to see the personality, but not see, but not get anything divergent, not have anything divert from that, even if it's interesting. So if you're talking to I don't know, oh, let's see, Doris Burke, and she's t- and you know you're 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 talking to her about the upcoming MEA season, and she goes into this whole thing about COVID nineteen about having COVID nineteen. You know, you. I, I think many people would be like, "Oh, let's get this back away from. Let's get this on. You know, on on what I'm on what I'm assigned to do." But 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 that but that diversion is actually better because you're seeing Doris Burke beyond who the public sees and who the public is going to see for the next 82 nights. Um, so yeah, it's it's about it's about finding it's about it's all about finding the real the real person and not and not bolstering the perception that is already out there so yeah yeah it's, I, it's, I think of it a little bit like uh, as a coach you know do you do you make the pieces make the pieces try to fit your system or do you do you work your system around the the players that you have you know it's mm-hmm. like let, let the story tell itself yeah it, but it, but that's hard to do i think if you if again that's so hard to do it's so hard to give into that impulse yeah yeah. You know, it's it's so hard. I mean, and that's the right impulse, but it's, but it, you know, it's funny. Every time I've 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 given into that impulse and let the interview just the interviewee, that sounds so technical, but the 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 person on the other side, if I if I let them dictate where the story where where the conversation is going to go and maybe just nudge them here and there, it's inevitably a better interview than if I just you know have my list my list of questions and talk about you know. If I have my list of questions and I just ask, and I just go down them one by one by one, um, it's inevitably a better a better interview because it's a conversation. You know, you're yeah. you're instead of just you know multi, instead of you know a, instead of 
instead of an essay question test. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the organic nature of the conversation is reflected in the sort of quotes that you get, as opposed right. to, like you said, it's, if it's an SAT, you know. Yeah. Line if it reads line like, line. if it reads like a deposition, if, if an interview reads like a deposition, you're in trouble. Like right. it, it, it should read, it should read like a conversation, like the best parts of a conversation. And right. Uh, you know that that's that's hard to do, and I, I think I still have trouble doing it. And I think it just it just takes you know years and years and years of practice. Um, you know, just it's like anything else; like it just takes reps. Yeah, yeah. I I find uh, I, I tell this to my kids sometimes. It's like the older I get, the less I I know I know. Like it's oh, just, absolutely. <laughs> you, and and that you know that that holds true for uh, professionally as well. So, yeah. And also, you know, what? it's like, you're not, you, you also find out that you're not the most interesting person in the world. <laughs> well, that a lot of that comes with just having kids too. Cause you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're <laughs> just squirrels your head around like, Oh, Oh, this whole yeah. thing isn't about me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been, that's been a big eye opener. It really, it really does. It does knock your priorities into order when you have one having a child. Um, and I, I think I'm I'm definitely better for having uh, having my daughter in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's um, I don't know. I mean I I think I don't think I've ever interviewed any good interview. I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody where I was the more interesting person. You know, <laughs> I, I yeah. I'm you never of, know though. I mean, every once in a while you you talk to somebody and I I, I mean I don't know maybe maybe I'm I'm over inflating my <laughs> like, the impression <laughs> I left on somebody. But you know I'll, I'll talk to someone and. I wind up, you know, I'll get a few of those. Oh, that's a really great question. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And you wind up talking for half an hour when, when it was supposed to be 10 minutes and you feel, okay, well, you know, maybe we hit it off a little bit there. Yeah, no, that's, that's always the, that's always the best sign when it's, when you get, you know, 30 minutes and you get an hour and a half or, you know, the publicist is, you can hear the publicist fidgeting on the other line <laughs> because, you know, the, the source is letting you go long. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing, but I think it just goes down to being, to being a good listener and to knowing when to shut the hell up. If you can yeah. do those two things, I think you're, you're in a, you're in a better position than most. Yeah. So, so speaking of going yes. back to the details a little bit that you yes, got, your book because um, I think that's how you get them is you just, you find a way to get people going and, and, and let them talk. Um, mm -hmm. But you, you came up with some stuff for the book that there's just a lot of really cool little nuggets in there where mm -hmm. either I wasn't aware or I'd forgotten. And I, I would imagine you know, I'm, I'm a big NBA fan. I have been since I was a kid. So I sure. kind of use myself as a, as a bit of a measuring stick. I think I, I look at some of these things, you know, the Celtics at one point considered a move to long Island. Yeah. The jazz kept their name because they couldn't afford new uniforms when they moved from <laughs> New Orleans to Utah. I mean, that's fantastic. And you. even, you know, Jerry Buss has a PhD in physical chemistry. I never yeah. knew that. I don't, I don't know how that escaped me, but um, I think about some of these things that you got, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, there, there's some anecdotes in the book, uh, David Fredman and, and Bob Whitsett were guys that we kind of know from the NBA salad days, but yeah, I'm when they're, they're hustling and, and eking by and trying to, you know, do whatever they can to sell season tickets. And there's uh, a bit about uh, the, uh, the Lakers 1980 game six finals clincher over Philadelphia, the big win. Most, a lot of people yeah. remember this magic Johnson scores 42 
15 rebounds, seven assists. He's filling in for Kareem. Yep. Um, what a lot of people may not realize or remember is that it was tape delayed in favor of reruns of Dallas and Dukes of Hazard. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, like I lived through that, but that's not something I would remember or, or maybe even maybe never knew at the time. But yeah. Um, do you get the sense that, that people younger than us or even people from our generation who maybe just forgot, do they, do you get the sense that they realize how grim things were for the NBA back in the day? Like how, just, just how tough things were? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think part of it is, well, we have short memories. And if you look at the NBA's um, gilded age, it really, it's really going on over 30 years now. I mean, if you look at Michael Jordan's first championship with the Bulls and then the Dream Team, that really is, the, is when everything starts going into overdrive. And so it's, it's, so it's, it's, so that's, you know, you're looking at 30 years now, at least, of just like nothing but net to use a cliche yeah. and it, it's very so and again we have very short memories um we i think you know we have you know, that's a good question i think the nba does a very the nba here here we go the nba and i think you you you, you know this probably better than i do the nba is always a, i mean the nba does a great job of celebrating its history and doing all that good stuff you know it yeah that's 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 settled but the NBA has, for, for years, always been about being new. They've always been about not being mired in tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, so they are not going to, so yes, I mean, they're going to celebrate Larry and Michael and, and Kareem and all those guys, as they should. But, you know, Giannis and Kyrie and KD and Steph, those guys are the big deals now. They are going to be the ones that are going to drive the money in with t-shirts and tickets and NBA, uh, NBA, you know, NBA league wide pass, like NBA, NBA league pass, excuse me. That's where the money is. That's the money is in the new, it's in the excitement, it's in the now. So the NBA has a very vested interest in not, not reliving the past in the same way that baseball does or football does. I mean, take a look, I mean, and also not, not even really being, not even really following tradition. The best example of that contemporary, contem- in a contemporary way is if you look at the bubble. Um, the NBA, you know, had this novel idea to just, you know, again, move everything to, to Florida, put everything in this bubble, in this campus, test everybody. And just, you know, again, it was, it was so, against script but what did what did major league baseball and, and and the nfl do they did the same thing they always do oh we'll have home games away games we'll travel so the nba has always been about what's next they've always been about about the about what's coming up over the hill and i think that's yeah, what that, that really comes through in the book too yeah it, thank you really I think that's one reason why innovation and technology exactly and, yeah. so the nba the nba again so again the nba has never really been about you know they've, they've they haven't celebrated their glorious past the way that others other sports may have you, you see it from occasion with like basketball love story and and the um uh the last dance, you know, those big documentary specials that come out, but you know, the NBA doesn't really make that part of their agenda. I think Um, it's there and they're more than happy to celebrate the past and they're, they're 
you know, when the anniversaries come up, they're always on point with that, but they're, you know, but they're not, they're not going to, that's not one of their, I don't think that's the, that's the hot, that's the, that's one of the main points on their business plan for 2020 and beyond. Yeah. It seems like it's more often like a news peg, you know, it's the, yes. the, the, the 50 greatest players, 50 years, right. those sorts of things where it's, it's dipping into nostalgia mm-hmm. when the mm-hmm. time comes. But I think the word you used earlier, when I think of the NFL and, and baseball and some of these other leagues, you know, tradition, yeah, tradition is almost like a, it's almost like a dirty word at this point because it's like, okay, there's, there's something to be said for honoring the past, but if you're mired in it, you're, you're just stuck. You're not, you're, oh, not, yeah. you're not moving forward. Absolutely. And, ba- and baseball's mired in the past. Yeah. Oh my God. But I mean, baseball is just, is, you know, again, I mean, I, I always find, I always, I'm always amazed when I read a story that talks about, um, baseball had the largest attendance records, you know, in, in, you know, in 20 years or ever. And I think to myself, really, I, I just, I find that, I find that baseball is so tethered to the past that no one really, that it's, that the audience is so limited. I mean, the, the biggest problem with baseball for years has been, has been to generate, has been to generate interest among black and Latino youngsters. Like that's right. been a big problem for years. And yeah. You know, so I, I'm, I am, yeah, but the, the NBA, yeah, I mean, a perfect example of the NBA dipping its toe, I like that phrase, is, um, is when Tommy Heinsohn died, you know, right. there, was the, there was the proper reverence paid for, oh, he was, he was the cl- a classic Celtic, and he was a coach and a broadcaster, and he was, you know, and if you, if you dug a little bit deeper, he was an integral part of the 64 near boycott of the NBA All-Star game, but, you know, you pay, you pay your respects, the NBA honor you know pays the proper tribute and then we move on to the next thing you know we move on to the free agents the draft you know the draft was you know was just you know was chugging along what a week later maybe so yeah the 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 lou cohen um who uh, um i'm sorry joe cohen pardon me who is the source for the book um talked about this he said you know the nba has always been about the cutting edge pushing what's new and that's been it's been that way for for a long long time and i don't think it's ever gonna i don't think it's ever gonna stop um, cause it's been very, it's been very, very profitable for them. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of that's owed to, to David Stern. I think that comes mm-hmm. through in the book as well. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was yeah. Stern, Stern was still with us when you yes. were working on the book. Um, yes. and there were, there were some, uh, some footnotes, mm-hmm. uh, about Stern, about Gary Bettman, Russ Granite, guys who declined to be interviewed for the book. Yeah. I'm curious how you get the sort of texture, um, the sort of um, the, the sort of pieces that 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 tell the story that that you're looking for, but also, you know, give the reader something new because obviously, you know, Stern is is the most chronicled sports commissioner, probably sports executive ever. Yeah. Um, how do you give the reader something new? What's your strategy when you know? Okay, I'm not getting these guys. Where do I go from here? That's a, that's a good question. You know what it is? It's there's, you just call as many people as you can who are, who are, who are close to them. You, you, you call and you call and you write emails and you, you, you call in every favor. Um, the other thing too about Stern, especially, and, and Russ, not so much, Gary, not so much. I'm calling them, I'm calling them first name. Like we have like, <laughs> Um, but boys, we are boys. Yeah. We, we hang out. Um, 
with David Stern especially, so much has been written about him. So you can, you can dig into the archives and find those details before he became, you know, the big swinging dick of, of sports commissioners. You, you can find those details. But a big part, and so a lot of it is just going through old books, going through old newspapers.com, combing and combing and trying to find details that are, um, that sparkle. And the other thing too is just calling every MBA employee I could find, you know, going through LinkedIn and, and you know, an old NBA phone list that Bill Marshall was nice enough to give to me that I just, you know, okay, well, let's find this person. That's great. And if you, and if you find enough people that were, that weren't, that didn't own them, that didn't own the garage, but were, but were mechanics, you can get great details. Like if you talk to, I mean, you know, I talked to Steve Mills for, for an hour and he was, you know, he was worked with David for years. Uh, Don Sterling, Don Sperling, who were executives at, NBA properties and NBA entertainment. They, you know, they worked with David and they worked with Gary. Um, you know, a, a guy like John Gaffney, who worked for Fox, um, uh, CBS Fox Video, worked with Gary Bettman because they, because Gary Bettman was uh, ran NBA entertainment. He was the legal counsel there, so he had great stories about getting chewed up by Bettman and you know, you know, overhearing David Stern admonishing James Worthy for soliciting a prostitute. So if you, if you, if you call all these people and you, you, you call person after person after person, you'll get texture. I mean, it's not fun. It's not fun to make your 15th phone call of the day, but if you do it, you'll find, you'll get those details and it'll make you want to keep digging. So that, that was sort of my rule of thumb. It's just read as much as I could and call as many people as I could to, to kind of fill in the gaps um, where they existed. Yeah. By, by the way, how great is newspapers.com? I love I love newspapers. <laughs> Jeff, is- Jeff Perlman gave me that tip a while back and I was like, this is, how, how did I not know about this? this it's phenomenal. mana. It's, it is mana. Like you can, it is, it is, it is well worth the 150 bucks or whatever you pay a month for a month, a year for it. It's, it's amazing. And especially with COVID, you know, for, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'll be start. I mean, I've done research uh, for other things and I'll, I hope to be starting a, a new book at some point. I'll be leaning heavily on newspapers.com because, yeah. you know, the archives, you can't go to a library now. Like you can't, you know, I'm close to two first rate libraries with Ithaca and Cornell and they're not open to the public. Right. So newspapers.com is going to be even more important to research yeah, down sure. the road. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like uh, also the, uh, the, you know, didn't own the garage, but they're mechanics. That's that I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, drilling down to some of those, yeah, uh, you know, kind of character actors, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, the 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 David Paymers and um, uh, uh, Richard Schiff's of the world. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know the thing is too is that not you know you, you know again people would ask me, people I'm trying to think a couple people would, like my mom was asking me like oh well, did you you know. Her friend wanted to know, well, who did Peter talk to? Did he talk to Larry Bird? Did he talk to Michael Jordan? No, they, they weren't <laughs> going to talk to me. You know, I, I mean, they, and they have no reason to talk to me. Um, the thing is, they've written books. And, you know, Jordan, Michael Jordan, there have been how many books written on Michael Jordan? Dozens. Um, and there's been plenty written about David Stern. So you can find all those guys. There, you can, if you dig enough, you can find all those details um, that, that are, you know, that are hidden in plain sight. And, and Jeff also had a, has, had a great, says, says this a lot, um, Jeff Perlman, and I think it's, it's such great advice, is that you take, the, you take the small and you make it big. Yeah. So 
all those details that you know maybe you glance maybe you would glance over um, when you're reading an article over you know your bagel and coffee when you're writing a book you know you take another look and you find something that you can you can you can expand upon yeah yeah it's i i just i found i, I think that's where what i was talking about earlier you know the older you get you learn more of these tricks and you figure out you know you you want the big bold you want the the Michael Jordan interview you want, there's a lot of things that you think like this would just make my story or this would make the book. Yeah. But in truth, I mean, look, Michael Jordan made his own, uh, what, 10, 10 yeah. episode documentary. <laughs> yeah. and what did we learn about him? This was straight from the horse's mouth. What did we learn about him that we didn't already know? Nothing. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, again, and these guys are so guarded now. Yeah. You know, Magic John, like, again, I mean the, the big four, I wanted to, I guess I wanted to talk to would be Kareem, Magic, Larry, and my, and Michael, you know, the, the four, the four first name guys that, you know, everyone knows. None of them, none of them would would, would talk to me. None of them, none of them. Kareem's publicist blew me off. Like I was, you know, asking, you know, asking if he wanted vinyl siding on his house. Like it was just, (laughs) there was no, there was no way I was going to get to them. But, but again, even if I talked to them and again, Kareem is a fiercely intelligent guy, super smart guy. He would have been, he would have been, he would have been, he probably would have been good, but still these guys have, have done a thousand interviews with a thousand journalists. They've been asked the same questions. And even if you ask something that's, that's new or interesting, they're so PR savvy that they're not going to, they're going to, they're going to deflect the question. They're going to, they're going to answer it in a way that's very, very boilerplate. So. Right. So you want it's it's all it's become almost a reflex where they're programmed to answer in such a way that it's you know the 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 least amount of risk involved for them you know short and long term. Absolutely, yeah. And again, there's and there's nothing. And again, Magic is now what he now he owns the Dodgers. He's a cajillionaire. Like he he there is no there is no benefit in him doing an interview. Right. None. I mean, and again, I mean, it doesn't. And I think. Yeah, there's no, especially with somebody that he doesn't know. I, I mean, I think, would it have helped me if I had been someone like a Jack McCallum or, or Jackie McMullen or a Harvey Arrington where, like, I'd been with a, I'd covered the league in the, you know, the, the gnarly days? Maybe. Probably not. But, I, you know, but again, I, but there's, but, you know, again, the fact that I'm, you know, again, a nobody who just is eager to learn about this period of time you know, there's no connection, you know, there's no, you know, there's no connection. There's no, there's, there's no uh, inroads there. So yeah, those interviews weren't going to work out, but I don't, I don't need those guys. You, you, and that's the, you don't, I think this, look, I, you seem to have enjoyed the book. Um, I don't think the book is any worse for not having those, having Michael Jordan talk about anything, you know, anything, his basketball career or, or winning the slam dunk contest or whatever. Um, it, it's really about doing the work and doing the digging and finding people who will give you a perspective that readers may not have known before. That's yeah, and I, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like as someone who has an idea how the sausage is made, like I guess that's what I'm saying is an interview with Jordan, an interview with Magic, an interview with Kareem. It's not, it isn't, it wouldn't help the book. There's nothing, no. there's nothing to be gained from those, but no. an interview with, um, you know, Kareem's uh, old publicist's kid who yeah tell you stories about you know 
mom coming home from, from work every day. And, oh yeah, no, I remember she told me, I mean, I'm making this up obviously. Yeah, sure. Yeah. This goes back to us drilling down and, and, and finding those, those, you know, those mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's, yeah, and you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, again, there's nothing for any of, for any big name to, um, to gain from top, from, from being a hundred percent candid. And look, to be honest with you, Kareem, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Giant Steps, Kareem's first um, autobiography, is amazing. It's yeah. a great book. I mean, and, he, and it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I got a lot of stuff from there. I mean, I'm looking right here now. Okay, there's My Life by Irving, by Magic Johnson. That's pretty good. Um, the book that Ma Ma Bird and Magic wrote with Jack McMullen is, is excellent. There was some stuff from there. Um, Drive, Bird wrote a book, a book, Drive, that's really good. That's really, his, his autobiography is pretty good. Uh, ditto bird watching, which he, he wrote with Jack McMullen. Um, I'm looking here, you know, I'm looking, I'm staring at two great Jordan books, uh, David McCallum, um, David Halverson's book on Jordan, which is great. Um, the Jordan rules is, is, is very good. Taking to the air, um, which is Jim McNaughton's uh, early biography on Jordan is, is great. That's a great book. All those, all those details that, that we're talking about, they're in those books. You just have to read them and, and, ferret and ferret them out and you'll you'll find stuff and you'll also find names of people right. in the book, books right you know? like, yeah i think the key too is to remember we live in a different time now and and a yeah. lot of those a lot of the things that you met you you mentioned those books that were either autobiographies i mean obviously written with someone but either that or uh uh you know sam smith um jack mccallum people who were very much plugged in yes when you had when there was an opportunity to be plugged in right was it just a different time then or you're david halberstam you know? yeah. And, and yeah you know there are only so many of those yeah and if you yeah if you're david halberstam back in like when he when you wrote that book i think it was 98 like you could you could you're, you're getting anywhere you want to go right. um but you know but you're, you make a good point about sam smith and you know, and, and, um, and Jackie Mack. And again, I, I, talked, I spoke to Jackie Mack for the book. She was great. I talked to Jack McCallum. He was great. Um, Sam Smith, I didn't, I didn't just, again, time was evaporated. But, um, but you know, but you, you, it also shows you just how important, like, the newspaper was back in the day. Yeah. Like, a, a periodic like sports story was so important. Like, if you were, if, again, I mean, I don't know, with listeners, I don't think people remember how important it was or how coveted a cover spot on Sports Illustrated was. It was huge in the yeah. 80s. And, you know, and the same thing with, you know, and again, if you're, if you're Michael, jo if you're writing for the Chicago Tribune or the Chicago Sun-Times, um, those are, you know, those are, in the 80s and 90s, those are major sources of news for the city. So Jordan was going to talk to you and you were going to be at every practice because the team needed the, needed the coverage as much as the papers did. All right. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, had uh, had a nice conversation with Pete. Pete Croato, writer and author of From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. You can follow Pete on Twitter at, at Pete Croato, P-E-T-E-C-R-O-A-T-T-O. And keep up with whatever he has next up his sleeve. Uh, really, really talented, hardworking guy who I can personally, I will give you the the ringtones personal guarantee ringtones official guarantee. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, he has written about something of interest to you. I promise. Um, in part one, we dove into Pete's new book, 
which you can still pre-order today as I get ready to post this. Um, it's, it's the last day of pre-order, so be sure to jump on it now. If you catch this episode a little too late, that's fine. Um, you can look for Pete's book wherever you buy books, and I recommend Bookshop. Uh, you go there, they, they help support small local bookstores. Uh, Jeff Bezos has got enough of our money, so um, nice, little, nice little place to start. Uh, but check in within the next couple of days for part two of my conversation with Pete, um, where we, we discuss plenty more, including, yes, boxing. Imagine that. If you enjoy ringtones, if you're currently enjoying ringtones, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate, leave a review. Be sure to tell a friend, maybe, uh, maybe some noob who got a taste of boxing last weekend, you know, got all up in some, some Jake Paul or Mike Tyson or, you know, old guy fights, whatever. Um, but maybe they want something more. Maybe they're willing to, to go a little deeper. As four out of five dentists will tell you, Ringtones is as good a place to start as any. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at, at @ringtonespod. Stay on top of new episodes. Maybe drop us a line. We love feedback. Love feedback. And chances are we'll reach out to you and say hey back. As always, be safe out there. And thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.